last week, there was a gentleman came to my door. That gentleman said, uh, I have for sale air purification machines. Would you like one? And I said, no, thank you. And I was ready to walk in. Oh, but just a moment. Uh, maybe you would like to sign up for a free one. We're going to give one to like every 15 uh, registered people. I don't think I would be interested. When I, is it your name, Tony Lawrence? Yes, that's what my name. And isn't this 16 North Steeple Chase Drive? Yes, that's what that is. Okay, and he's writing something down. I get a call a little while later. You've won. You've won. You know, you're number 15. I said, no, thank you. I don't believe I want one. Are you sure? It's free now. No, I, I don't think I want one. Would you please go on to somebody else? I try to be nice. I try to be polite. At some point, though, you want somebody to just leave. You want them to, to leave you alone. You don't want the free things that they're offering. You're, you're not interested in what they have to sell. I want you to go with me if you want to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. The background of this passage that Brother Leonard read is, is very interesting. It has a whole lot of valuable detail in it. If you begin back in chapter 4, verse 35, what you find very interesting is they had just left in the early evening and they're crossing across the Sea of Galilee and they've encountered not just a little storm but a great one. And what takes place, if you'll remember the great words of Jesus, peace, be still, and you know what the water did? Immediately became calm. And likely after a still night of about that five-mile trip from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other, they arrive at the country of the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes. Now what's interesting is when you get there is this is an area that's well known. It's, it's where the mountains of the Golan Heights then fall down into the sea. And, and it's almost like there's a bowl shape there. And in fact, if you're looking at it, this is the southern part. If you're on top of those mountains and you're looking south and you're looking west, you get an idea of what it looks like. But if you get on the south and you look back, can you see those mountain range there? And, and can you visualize there's the, the clefts of the rock there and there's the, uh, it rushes down toward the sea. And there's the area of Gadara. As you get a little bit closer, there's the area of the harbor, and you can see those mountainsides there, and, and you can visualize someone having animals up there as it goes down toward the sea. And there's the Gadara area of where the cliff is at, and, and you can see it going down to the water. What's interesting is when you get there, there's a lot of, of old tombs, and you can see some of the tombs looking out to the area, and, and some of them go down into some... Uh, what we'd call crypts. Uh, in fact, some of them are very small. They would take the bodies and they would slide them up into those little areas and that's where they'd place the body. Uh, that's where this demon-possessed man hung out. And you know, for a Jew, that would have been a very uh, awkward situation because they were not to come into contact with the dead. You know, hanging out in the cemetery is not even considered to be a normal thing today, but that's where this man was living. 
As you get further, you, you'll see the idea of going into these, and you can visualize this man who's demon-possessed coming out of these. And as you think about it, he comes out of the tombs. Uh, look with me at verse 2. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Uh, here he comes to, and he finds this man. And what do you know about the man? Well, he would have been frightening. He would have captured your attention. I want you to imagine maybe getting off a bus or getting off an airplane. And just as soon as you get off and you've arrived at your destination, there's a crazy person there. But he's not just normal crazy. Look at verses 3 through 5. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, not even with chains, because they had often, he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains were, had been pulled apart by him, the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. Always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. I'm going to tell you, if I got off an airplane or I got off of a ship or I got off of a bus and there's a guy out there and he is crazy and he's so crazy they can't anybody bind him up, they can't anybody put a straight jacket on him, can't anybody carry him to the funny farm. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I want to deal with this person. I'd be scared of him. It would be frightening. And he encounters Jesus. But the man is possessed with demons. Demons was a phenomenon that occurred during biblical times when God allowed people to work true miracles. And one of the miracles was to take these evil spirits and cast them out of someone. But when you get to verses 7 through 10, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he sent and uh, begged him earnestly that he would not send him them out of the country. Now pause with me for just a minute here. As you think about this, we're legion. That's a Roman term which meant 60, or not 60, 6,000. 6,000 soldiers made a legion. Is he using it literally or is he using it figuratively? I don't know, but I know there's a lot of demons inside this man. And I know that they do not want to be cast out of the region. You know, we found a pretty good place here. Uh, if a man's out trying to scam people or trying to uh, take advantage of people and he finds a bunch of people who are credulous or maybe who are willing to buy into that, he's going to stay there as long as he can be productive. They don't want to leave the region. They want to stay here in verses 7 through 10. And so look at verses 11 through 17. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So the demons begged him saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. 
And at once, Jesus gave them permission. And then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. Now listen carefully. There were about 2,000. Boy, you're talking about a lot of pigs. That's a lot of pigs, 2,000 of them. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Wow, that's a frightening thought. And then you get to verses 16 and 17. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And what they're saying is, please leave. We don't want you here. And you can begin to explore in your mind, why was it that the, these people wanted Jesus to leave? Was it the fact that he had just been responsible for the destruction of 2,000 sheep? What if you own the sheep? Or not sheep, 2,000 swine, I'm sorry. What if you own the swine? Well, that would be a, a major loss for you. And so for that reason, they're, they're wanting Jesus to leave their region. What's interesting is the man in whom the demons have been is wanting to go with Jesus. But Jesus is not going to permit him. He's going to say, go and tell what has happened. Now from that, I want you to think about people who ask the Lord to leave. People who ask him to say, we don't really want you here. We want you to go somewhere else. A nation can do that. A city can do that. A congregation can do that. A family can do that. And even individuals can do that. That's what we're going to look at here in the next few minutes. Jesus' own nation rejected him. If you'll remember back in John chapter 1, Jesus said he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Those people among whom Jesus had grown up, who had seen him as a child and now see him as a grown man, they are not receiving him. John 4, verse 44, For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. They don't, they don't respect him. They don't want him. In fact, if you'll remember, Jesus was taken to the precipice of this cliff outside the city of Nazareth, and they were going to push him off the cliff. Oh, they, they don't love him. They want him to leave. If you study Romans chapter 9 through 11, you understand that what has happened, the Jewish people, for the most part, said, we don't want Jesus. We want to keep Moses. We want to keep the Old Testament law. We're not interested in following him. By, because of that, in Romans chapter 11, it hastened the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles. Whole nations can reject our Lord. In Psalm 9, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations who forget God. Our nation is rapidly becoming an atheistic country. I don't think anybody has to prove that to you. There are people who are now willing to go to court to try to stop everything that even appears to be religious. They tried to have a cross that had been erected up in the northeast for the honor of soldiers who had died removed because they said it favored religion. Thankfully, the Supreme Court didn't buy that. 
But it doesn't matter where you go or how you live. They don't want in God we trust on our money. They don't want it on the uh, various places around. They want our country to be atheistic, non-believers. But then a city. The city of Jerusalem made it clear that they didn't want Jesus. If you're studying Matthew 23 and you... You realize that near the end of that chapter, they come to the Mount of Olives, and it's a beautiful place that you can sit, and you can look over the, the city of Jerusalem itself. You can see uh, today the Dome of the Rock where the temple sat. You can see the lower part of the city of David. It's a, it's a great vantage point to look. And in Matthew 23, verse 37, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you that I shall, you shall see me no more, for you shall say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord's up there weeping this city that he wanted to love him, wanted to accept him, says, no, we don't want him. And this is God's city. Second Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 6, Yet I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name may be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. God had chosen Jerusalem. That was the city. And they were saying, we don't want your son. We don't want him here. Some cities would rather embrace sin than they had the Savior. I think about the cities we sometimes call sin cities. Think about Las Vegas. I think about New Orleans. Think about how ugly sometimes the sin there really is. But you don't have to go that far to look for people who would rather legalize alcohol. They'd rather legalize drugs. They'd rather legalize gambling. And you say, well, you're talking about our own city. I stood before our own board of mayor and aldermen and pleaded with them not to expand the sale of, of liquor in our city. And you know what? It fell on deaf ears. People are more interested in money. They're more interested in their buddies than they are in God and in God's word. Well, I'd like to ask the question, would Jesus be welcome in our city? Would we embrace him and say, we're going to go to him, we're going to listen to him, or would we reject him and say, why don't you go on down the road? Why don't you depart and leave our region? Now let's be more direct. What about a congregation? Could a congregation of God's people actually say, please go somewhere else? When you go to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, they really have driven the Lord out of the church there. Look with me at verses 14 through 21. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, but you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot, so then because you're lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, and listen carefully, I am rich, have become wealthy, 
and have need of nothing. We don't need you, Lord. We don't need what you have to offer. For the Lord's appraisal was, do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? I counsel from you to buy gold from me, refined in fire, that you may be rich, white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eyesight that you may see. Therefore, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. When the Lord wanted to get rid of Laodicea, Laodicea wanted to get rid of the Lord. It's interesting. You visit the ruins of Laodicea and you see the beauty of that place, the white marble that was just on all those columns and not one theater, but two theaters, huge ones. All these people are wealthy, but they didn't have the Lord. Because they had run him out of that congregation. Some of these congregations could not tolerate his preaching. I wonder what the Lord would say if the Lord were to come to this pulpit and stand right up here and now and speak and say what he would say. In Matthew 15, verses 7 through 13, the Lord's terminology is pretty direct and pretty much in your face. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, This people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Oh man, that doesn't sound good. People who say we love the Lord, but in reality, what they're doing is their allegiance, what they love, is far from him. He talks about the people who worship him in vain, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. What people are saying is, we don't want to do it the Lord's way. We want to do it our way. We want our plan to be involved. Verse 12, then his disciples came to him. Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Lord, you upset some people. What's going to happen to our contribution? What's going to happen to our attendance? You're going to make some people mad and they're going to go away. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 6? When he spoke to the apostles, and would you also go away? The Lord never stopped people from telling him to leave or stopping people from leaving him. He wants people who will make a decision and who will say, I want to be with the Lord. Verse 13, but he answered every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have left or neglected the weightier matters of law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done and left the others undone. Blind guides who strain out the gnat and swallow a camel. Oh, you... You make some things so uh, important when they're not really important and some things that really are important, you don't even emphasize those at all. When would Jesus speak at some congregations? Between the basket weaving and basketball? What has the church of the 21st century become? Are we focused 
on the Lord being the center of our worship and the center of everything that we do. And if not, we've actually driven the Lord out of the church. Then a family. Ananias and Sapphira were a part of the early New Testament church. You know, you get to Acts chapter 5 and you see the church growing. It's growing so rapidly that there's people who need to be taken care of and particularly like the widows that are going to need to be taken care of. And you have good men like Barnabas who has a field, he sells it, he brings the money, he lays it at the apostles' feet. But you've got some other people there who are, I guess you'd say, along for the ride. But the Lord's not really important to them. You get to Acts chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the proceeds and his wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part of and laid it at the apostles' feet. Oh, you know what follows from that. The question is, why did you lie, Ananias? You've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. Later on, Sapphira comes in. She gets carried out dead too. You see, the Lord was not a part of their life. What was a part of their life was the glory that they thought they were going to get from it. It's not just that, though. You can look at Luke chapter 7. A man by the name of Simon invites Jesus to his house. But there's a woman there that's not of a good reputation. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, Teacher, say it. Simon needed to hear a lesson saying, Simon, what you don't understand is you don't appreciate who I am. You don't appreciate what has been done or will be done for you. Jesus is going to give his life. And Simon is more interested in maintaining a show than he is in what's true and right. Some families are busy with their worldly things that they no longer have time for the Lord. You come knock on my door and say, I've got something to sell to you. I'm sorry, I don't have time. I've got too many important things to do. But the Lord comes and he knocks at the door of your heart and you say, I'm sorry, Lord, I've got too many things to do. We're involved in so much. I don't have time to go to church. You've got to understand that there's going to be a concert at the Bridgestone Center in Nashville. I'm sorry, Lord, but I, I would rather go to it than I had be at church. Y'all think I'm joking about that? We've got people who will skip church to go to all kinds of events like that. Some emphasize the secular over the spiritual. You don't believe that? They'll stress excellence to their children in everything but in spiritual things. And then when their children grow up, they look and they say, Why do my children not love the Lord? Because you drove the Lord out of your home a long time ago. You told your children by what you said and by what you did, the Lord wasn't that important. 
And the Lord, you drove him out of your house. You said, please leave. We've got other things we want to do. Then the individual. Judas stands out as a man who drove Jesus out of his life. Judas was greedy. Greedy for money. Matthew chapter 26, verse 47, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he's the one, sees him. And immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? And then they came and laid hand on Jesus and took him. What a betrayal. Here's a man who made a decision. Would I rather have 30 pieces of silver or would I rather have the Lord? I think I'd rather have the 30 pieces of silver. And what does he do? He betrays him for that. Judas was entrusted by Jesus to take the money bag, but Judas didn't trust Jesus. Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve calls, Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time he sought an opportunity to betray him. For him, Jesus wasn't that important. He drove him out of his life. Our choice is on an individual basis. I, Tony, have the ability to choose whether or not I want the Lord in my life or not. You have the ability to choose for yourself whether you want the Lord in your life. And you say, well, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my son, my daughter. Oh, yeah, you can say that, but you have the choice to do what you want to do and whether or not you want to be a Christian. It's an individual choice. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Every one of us, individually, are going to stand before the Lord and be judged. Tony, do you love me? Did you love me? Did you serve me? Did you put me first in your life? Or did you say, Lord, please leave? There's a picture in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 13, that ought to frighten us. Because it says, Then I saw the great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, the small and the great, standing before God, and the books were opened. Now you think about for a minute, books, plural. That's the books of your life. And the books of God's Word. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. 
Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. I ask the question individually. You, don't look at your neighbor, don't look at your friend, your mom, your dad, your son, your daughter, your wife, your husband, yourself. Is the Lord important in your life? Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Will you answer and say, let the Savior in? Or will you say, please leave? Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. It's a plea for you. It's a plea for me. Let the Savior in. If you need to become a Christian tonight through your faith, your repentance, your confession and being baptized, the baptistry behind me is ready. There are garments prepared All things are ready. It's your decision now. Will I choose to let the Savior in? Or you're a child of God and you know what you've done? You've been like the prodigal son. You said to your father and to your brethren, I I like what's over there. And you go over there and you realize once you get there, it's not what you thought it was going to be. And you realize it's time for me to go back home. You want to go back where the Savior is at. That's what the invitation song is for. We're going to sing, Are You Coming to Jesus Tonight? And if you need to, would you come while we stand and sing?